Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. Also here. As he is at this time each and every week, Mr. Corbin Ford of Swiss Theory, Round Ball Ramble. Uh, he's got a new setup. I feel like the the LeBron poster is new, Corbin. I don't remember that being behind you last time we recorded. I could be wrong. It's is more it prominent new? now. It's more prominent. I was, was there, it but it's in a different location. I'm moving, so okay. it just was by necessity I had to put it there. But, I mean, Lakers are in the second round. People said it couldn't be done, and I'm not those people. So <laughs> Raise the banner. All day. Made it out of the second round. I mean, this has been an all-time great situation for the NBA, right? When they're looking at these second-round matchups, like getting Warriors-Lakers is just such a gift. Like that is that they, to luck into that based on how the seeding was and how the season went to get those two with basically everybody healthy. Because when you look around the league right now, so much of the playoffs is who's just going to be left standing injury-wise. Like um, to have them, fingers crossed, knock on some wood here that we're going to get a healthy Warriors versus a healthy 
Lakers team uh, in round two is going to be fun and good, in my opinion. You're not going to believe this. I think that's good. Uh, also here, here, uh, back-to-back weeks, one of my favorite NBA writers, Orlando Magic writers, Beyond the RK. RK, good evening, sir. How are you? Hey, man, what a beautiful day of basketball. Just game seven, Sunday afternoon, Steph Curry. 50 point historic game i mean what a, what an is there any better thing to watch on a sunday afternoon than a little playoff basketball i'm, I'm doing great we're, we're coming off a huge win here beautiful day for like you said for for basketball going forward amazing series and just capping off a, a an all-time first round series just a classic shootout between the kings and the warriors here can i say it felt like it was a quiet steph 50 where um because like i'm jotting down my notes and you know he's cooking and he's good but it didn't feel like a steph just like flamethrower type deal he was just doing efficient elite steph stuff it didn't which is amazing that 50 points for him now can just feel just like oh yeah i mean that's just how the flow of the game was going it all felt in the context of the game was steph was just being Steph and Steph being Steph in a big time playoff moment is 50 points and making it look extremely seamless with I mean he had some bonkers floaters he had some just unbelievable shots in this game and he was also passing the ball really well I mean he had one uh ball to Jordan Poole in the corner it was either the second or third quarter where I don't even know how he saw Jordan but he he scooted over to that right hand side and it's just he does it all uh Steph does it all and it was tough way to end uh for kings fans um hey the playoff drought ended still in good hands still a lot of vets i mean they're gonna have some interesting free agency uh who they're gonna keep of this current crop and how they're gonna approach uh uh continuing this to build this thing around De'Aaron and demontis but uh good things ahead i think for sacramento but the warriors were just clearly the better team in this series and what they did today especially in the second half um just really Doing what champions do, just kind of stepping on the king's necks and just being like, nope, this journey doesn't end here um, for the defending champs. Corbin, what did you see out of the Warriors in uh, in game seven? Um, a lot of Steph Curry, like you already mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. his offensive prowess. Like, like you said, I didn't think it was like a, an explosion all of a sudden. He had just a bunch of key shots in a bunch of different times and mm-hmm. he missed two free throws at one point. It was different. You know, it was getting yeah. a lot of shots up for sure. But then it just all started adding up. And you're like, whoa, 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 okay, <laughs> okay, okay. We see you, we see you. Um, but what I really saw was Kevon Looney. Mm-hmm. Kevon Looney, I mean, all series was impactful. But game seven, he's really part of the reason that the Warriors are just ganging up on the Kings on the boards, right? Second chance opportunities because they did miss a bunch of shots. He was there um, getting assists. His ball movement is kind of sneaky in terms of the opportunity creates for others. So it just kind of kept going. I mean, it was tight into, I would say, middle of the third quarter. Then the Warriors put some separation in, and then the fourth quarter, they just kind of blew the thing wide open. So it definitely was a game that I think the Kings, you know, battled admirably. Um Love what I saw from De'Aaron Fox's series. My guy Malik Monk told you, Chase, you remember when he left the Lakers. I was mourning that loss. And it, it didn't come back to bite me per se, but like seeing him be so successful, I knew this is what he could be. I'm sure other people did as well. But like it was cool to see that. Um, other guys really stood up and made an impact. Chance Davis had a couple good moments. Like other Kings players did great trade. Lyles had a game or a moment. It was fun. They had a great season, great first round. Um, the sky looks I wouldn't say sky's the limit, but it's definitely bright for them. Mm. Um, excited to see where they go forward. But yeah, for this game seven, Steph Curry, Kevon Looney uh, just did their job, man, and and then some. And the Kings just missed some shots, and at the end, just couldn't keep up. And 
that's okay. You know, they got they got next year. Malik Monk couldn't have had the night that he had and they were going to win. Like you just look at the role players like Terrence Davis, you mentioned he goes off, but you needed more from Monk because the Warriors guys that you were going to count on, like Steph was going to be there. Uh, Clay didn't really shoot well at all, but he was getting to the line and doing other stuff. Um, Andrew Wiggins didn't shoot well at all, but their starters plus 25, plus 25, plus 25, plus 25, plus 30. Mm -hmm. Like those dudes, they came together to make it all work. And especially in that second half, and you mentioned Kevon Looney, I think um, what he did, I mean, 21 boards, 10 offensive, 10, uh, 11 defense is just, just silly. And you look at it too, DeMontis Sabonis, how do you only have eight boards? Like I, you didn't think coming into the series that this would be an advantage and the Kings would go down because they could not keep Looney and company out of the pain. They could like the second hand, second chance shots and opportunities the Warriors were creating for themselves was just the kiss of death. And I didn't have that in my bingo card of how the Kings would flame out in game seven. Did you, RK? Yeah, I mean, that that was just a massive performance by Kevon Looney, like you said, and definitely a surprise there that kind of that mismatch the whole series, uh, as you alluded to as well. I, I think Looney averaged 17 boards on the whole series and had three games with over 20. Mm. And it felt like he got all those 10 of those offensive boards in the third quarter. I mean, mm. they, any miss that they had, he was just willing the possession to get another look it, just over and over again. And obviously, Steph Curry just put on a legendary performance. Obviously, we already mentioned 50 points, the most ever in a game seven. And he just put the team on his back. Like like he said, it, he made it look easy, just like a walk in the park. It almost didn't feel like any different big Steph game, just another big Steph game where he's going to get whatever shot he wants against any defense. Like the even, even his last shot was splitting defenders on a full court drive, just getting trapped at half court. I'll just split you guys, uh, getting trapped at the elbow, split you one more time. Here's a layup. There's 50, just for good measure. He was hitting those scoop layups that I think Mark Jackson mentioned. He practices every day. He, he hit like, I don't know, five of those, it felt like, throughout the game, whenever he was getting pressured off offline and he had a drive. That was, and then obviously just the one-of-a-kind shooter. I mean, no one can create and make the shots that he takes off the dribble, moving in the flow of the offense, and then just pulling back pulling up for a step back three in traffic contested hitting that, that that one at the top of the key today over i forget forget who contested it but just a full extension of full arc beautiful steph curry shot and then obviously little little floated game two and uh a nice little inbound pass where fox kind of fell asleep for a sec with the give and go with draymond in the in the corner three to the inbounder with a second left steph hit another three that gave him 48 points so he was just getting whatever he wanted, and they finally like trapped him real hard. And it, at the end, it was just too late. They just couldn't couldn't come back. But I mean, that that was just today. But the, an, an all time series. Got to shout out Darian Fox. I mean, he just was, went nuclear, especially those first few games. It, it stinks. It's a big what if with the, the injury on the hand. It seemed like he wasn't either quite as aggressive or quite looking for his shot as much maybe he wasn't as confident in that shot because of the hand and so if if the the Warriors defense seemed like they were trapping Monk a little like you mentioned they needed Monk to go off so they let Fox with the injury kind of free to make his decisions and score a little more and maybe he was hesitant and then Sabonis was just off or not a great matchup in this matchup the whole series like he he was good on the fast breaks as always a transition killer but the half court he just was hesitant to shoot draymond locked him down 
and Looney just outmuscled him, outworked him for those rebounds, similar to uh, kind of Mitchell Robinson on the other side in the East, the, mm. the just out just outworking the Cavs for for rebounds the whole series, and that being a big difference to to move on in the first round for these teams. Corbin, when you look at the Lakers and the Warriors season or series here, based on what you've seen from Warriors Kings uh, this to this point, what you saw from your Lakers uh, getting matchup. through LeBron stuff, what, what, Adam Silver is just chomping at the bit, you know, counting his money over in the corner. What? <laughs> Do you see this as like the Lakers are a good matchup based on their current personnel and what the Warriors have looked like? How, when you think about what this matchup is going to look like and what this series, because it's going to require um, to go into Golden State and win some important games on the road. It's going to like Golden State's going to find their way back to home court advantage, which is uh, it's lucky for them that, that flipped for them uh, based on what we've seen from them on the road uh, to this point, but also good road win um, in Sacramento to shut things down. But still, uh, by and large, not been a great road team all year long. Uh, been pretty historically bad on the road uh, for a contender. So getting home court advantage is going to be really critical for them again in the series. But what Sacramento struggled with, I don't think the Lakers are going to have that problem. The Warriors are going to have to beat the Lakers in a very different way than the way that uh, that they beat the Kings. What do you think that is? And do you feel good that the Lakers have a legitimate shot of beating the Warriors in six or seven? Or just five. Just go full nuclear. Just be like Lakers and oh, yeah. five, Corbin. You know, I'm a bold man usually, but I'm, I'm not going to go that far. Um, <laughs> I don't think the Lakers are demonstrably better than the Warriors. Uh, you could, If you could argue they are at all. I think that the match is definitely going to be interesting. Um, as a Lakers fan, I would have preferred Sacramento. Just because of a much more free-flowing game. I like the match that's better with LeBron and AD against the personnel the Kings have. The Warriors do have better personnel. Again, I'm not necessarily worried about... <laughs> Who's guarding LeBron out of, you know, Andrew Wiggins or if it's Clay Thompson or Draymond Green, sort of, because he'll probably primarily be on um, AD. Um, Or, of course, Kevon Looney's on AD. Like, between the matchups the Warriors have for the Lakers star players, I don't think it'll be that big of an issue. Like, yes, they're going to do a good job. Uh, It's going to be, I would say, easier than Memphis, only because, like, Golden State doesn't have that many like times of big burly physical guys like ad's actually had a pretty decent outing against Draymond green in the past like just matchup wise kevon looney he pretty much has a a good a good advantage there um and lebron is lebron right i mean he's definitely slower a little bit now that foot injury i think is coming to bear more or the fact that the dude is in d38 um but at the same time the physicality and um resistance at the rim that memphis provided golden state doesn't quite have that so I do like both LeBron and AD there. I think it's the other players that's going to be interesting because you do have to like look at your guard matchup of D'Angelo Russell and and Austin Reeves. If you're putting Austin Reeves on Steph Curry, I don't know if Austin Reeves is going to have a lot for the offense side of the ball. If you're putting D'Lo on Steph Curry, you might see more than that 50-point performance we just had. Like <laughs> There might be more of that just because not not an ideal matchup, right? Uh, Jared Vanderbilt can only guard one guy. So who is that going to be? Just because he guarded John Moran in the first round, I don't see him chasing Steph, Steph Curry relentlessly around screens like that and still being as effective as he can be, if he can even do that, because two different games, right? John Morant's athleticism definitely like straight at the rim, where Curry is everywhere and is more comfortable bombing wild. Well, not more comfortable, but just as comfortable, if not more comfortable bombing wild from 40 feet. So it's a lot of cross-matching on the defense side of the ball that I worry about for the Lakers and how they adjust. And I think benches are going to be very important in this matchup as well. Um, so for LA, you know, Rui Hachimura made a big impact 
against the Grizzlies? Are we going to see some of that here against the Warriors? You know, Jordan Poole had a very up and down, mostly down series against the um, Kings. Was that just his own offensive slump or whatever it was? Will he shake loose to that? Uh, Clay Thompson on both defending him and who he's guarding. How that's going to work out is definitely a little bit interesting. I'm going on a sprawl. I'm still trying to process it all, but I do think the Lakers can win this series. Um, if I had to be pressed right now to prediction, I would say that they do only because the Warriors have just been so bad away from home, like you said, and unlike um, the Kings, all due respect to the Kings, the Lakers are not the Kings. You know, it, it's not the youth in that way. It's the Lakers team that, yes, was rebuilt on the fly, uh, but all those folks who are in there now are a little bit more experienced than Sacramento. So I don't have that same issue about them being closed, closing down a game, you know, at home against the Warriors when you have two of the best to do that and one of the best processes of the game literally architect like architect what is the word i'm looking for diagramming like every possession there you go that's the better so you're still architect yeah you're still there you you're still yeah, it, it still works See, support support so yeah i don't know if i answered your question um i like the lakers against the warriors i do think it'll be more on the six or seven game variety if the lakers were to win um i don't see the warriors dispatching lakers in five so i think either team wins it they'll give up two games to the opposing team um but, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I'd have been a lot more confident if it was Sacramento, and that sucks because I love Sacramento, and they, it would have been a fun series. But it's going to be a fun series of the Warriors, too. The history, Steph, Clay, LeBron, Draymond, all of that, you know, the back and forth. I, I'm, I'm excited. Mike Trudell had this on Twitter. Uh, the Lakers and Warriors haven't played a playoff series since 1991, the year I was born, which is oh, pretty wow. crazy. Since yeah. then... LA has six titles, 2000 through 2002, 2009, 2010, and 2020. Golden State has four, 2015, 2017, 2018, 2022, and seven all-time matchups, though. LA is 6-1, and 24-11 overall record. Warriors' lone win was in 1967. So this is kind of unprecedented here. The Warriors uh, beaten the Lakers in a postseason series. RK, when you, if I were to tell you, uh, clairvoyant chase, that the Warriors won this series in five or six games. Why do you think they did? Man, to easy way out is Steph just goes off, obviously. But uh, I, I if think... Steph goes off, why does he go off? Is, who do you think they throw at Steph, and what do you think doesn't work against Steph with this Lakers uh, he, roster? Right. I mean, just like Corbin was just saying, there, there's only so many options to actually guard Steph left over on this. Like Jared Vanderbilt can only guard so many players on this roster so mm. that that leads me to believe it, it it's looking like a shootout who who can get the most stops in this series could be the determining factor because there aren't it doesn't seem like there's a lot of great defenders on either side to stop the other one like is draymond stopping anthony davis that that's a big one-on-one matchup where draymond's more of a team defender is he going to slow down arguably their best you know player this season and then um, I, I'm not sure. I, I might have read LeBron might be battling some, some sort of injury as well, so he might not be 100% in that sense. So that that's an interesting factor as well. But honestly, I think it comes down to just Steph being able to outscore and, and do his thing. And it, it, like, will he be an MVP level player, kind of like Jimmy Butler for the Heat? Like, will, will he be just an overwhelming superstar that can't be guarded well? consistently over a whole series and i lean towards steph being able to do that but uh, for a lot of the reasons corbin mentioned the the lakers have good depth they they 
they made a lot of moves on the fly at the deadline where they just replaced Westbrook with for like an entire rotation of at least shooters around LeBron and a third option off the dribble score, kind of like a Kyrie light in D'Lo, like obviously not Kyrie, but you know someone that can create his own shot, spread the floor on and off the ball, run a little pick and roll offense and just be a, a third dynamic scorer in that sense. So I do think, you know, D'Lo and should be able to have a, a good offensive series on his side too. I mean, I, I see a lot of offense in this series and not a ton of defense is really what it comes down to. So who is likelier to get stops? Um, it's tough. I would lean the Warriors – or uh, actually, I would lean the Lakers because of Anthony Davis and because of, of Ree and Jared and, and LeBron and that length. And, and But, you know, it, I really think this is going to be a close series. Like it, it, it's a toss-up where – we're kind of talking out the pros and cons on a on a very close shootout that could go either way, similar to how I sort of felt about uh, the Suns and the Nuggets that we'll get to in a little bit. Is just like who, which team can actually get stops on the others because but both sides are going to produce a good shot for that team consistently, and those those shots are just different for both teams. For the Nuggets, it's it's a it's a more traditional or a more efficient look, more likely at, at the rim or at three or an MVP type of player uh, scoring his shot. Versus the the Suns might be more mid range looks, but the best mid range specialists in the league taking them. So that 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 boils down to more of who who can stop who. So that that's kind of where I'm coming back to here with the Warriors and Lakers. Is I'm just picturing you know shootouts on both both sides. And it kind of feels like the Warriors have a little bit less firepower at this point between the way Clay and Poole have kind of disappointed in the playoffs so far and Kuminga and Moody haven't really brought a ton. And uh, Looney might Looney has been amazing in the Sabonis matchup. He might not have the same advantages against an Anthony Davis in the next matchup. So, you know, Steph's going to be nuclear. Draymond's probably going to show up with the defensive end of things but will they have enough help around that to outlast the lakers and the new supporting cast i'm not sure even though it's crazy because the lakers have only been together 20 or so games with this cast and the warriors it feels like they're on you know year eight or nine of a dynasty just reloading once again and even made the trade to to sure up the little hole that i saw or a lot of people saw by losing gary payton they just traded wiseman to bring him right back in and and fill that point of attack defensive hole that he's huge for them. But, um, you know, it's just I, I, I love the chemistry and the feel between the team and the way they create shots, but I'm not sure if they, they quite will have that enough firepower. But, but you know, it, it, it could go either way. I'm, I'm probably going to end up picking, like, Lakers in seven or change my mind Ooh. at the last minute and go Warriors in seven. Like, it, it'll be right, right there on the line. But right now I've talked myself into Lakers in seven at the moment. Okay. I'm probably at Warriors and six is where I'm leaning. And then I think the Warriors get curb stomped by the Nuggets as their last little hoorah here. Um, Corbin, uh, RK and I were talking last week and that was kind of the theme of the podcast was that health permitted. And we've talked about this, the continuity that the Nuggets had, the subtlety of their offseason moves of just like bringing in uh like where it's like, oh, are you really moving on from Monty Morris? Like he's such a good six man. He's such a good, like the Tyus Jones role. He's so good at leading that saying, you know, are you sure you want to bring in somebody like KCP and kind of disrupt things a little bit and kind of, but Ish Smith and company has been fine. And then you look at it, there's not a better team uh, in the NBA right now who knows exactly 
who their eight guys are going to be really seven and a half because Brown plays uh, less than Brown and green to this point. But like, I think this is the important thing. So there's going to be so many eyes on Lakers warriors that if the nuggets who won game one after uh, some Jamal Murray game one dominance here, if they roll in five again, uh, based on what they just did against the Timberwolves, they're just going to continue to be forgotten because everyone's just waiting for them to make that final jump to the NBA finals before they really, really take them seriously. But they have their five. They're playing upper 30 minutes. Those five know exactly how to play basketball with one another. They know exactly what their roles are. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. And they're comfortable. That continuity matters so much come playoff time. And they're all so good together. And Jamal Murray being what, like he, what he was in the bubble, which is crazy to say like three years ago now, I just don't see a path to them. So when people were like, oh, the Suns, this is so much fun. I was like, Suns aren't beating the Nuggets. RK and I were talking about it. It's like, I, that's not happening. The Suns are not doing this. And KD, who I love, made another mistake where it's like, if you stayed in the East, you stayed in Brooklyn, there's an easier path. Look, like you just looked at the Bucks, get ousted here in round one. You got the Knicks and the Heat over here battling in the second round where points are just going to be hard to come by. And you're like, you actually kind of maybe had a cakewalk um, if you had stuck things around and just made it work in other ways in Brooklyn. And the East is more open. Now he's in a crowded West and he's going to ha- going up against the most, uh, the best starting five in the NBA that is all healthy and maybe has the, uh, the favorite and two time defending MVP, Nikola Jokic and a playoff flamethrower <laughs> in Jamal Murray. I mean, it's just, I, I don't see how the Suns get out of the series. Corbin, you're in Phoenix. You're on the ground here. Do you see the Suns being able to get out of this 0-1 hole? And do you actually give them a fighting chance in this series against the Nuggets? I give them a fighting chance because of the top four talent, right? Preferably, mm. specifically the top two. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. Um, they've both just been great uh, this postseason. I think Durant's definitely in the first round was a lot more held in check. You could see he was the, the main focus of the Clippers' defensive scheme. But Booker was able to feast on their secondary defenders and just lit them up, right? Um, and both those guys, I thought, played decently well in game one. Now, the problem for me is, well, literally everyone else was not inspired by DeAndre Eaton's effort and energy. And to be honest, I feel like he kind of gets a bad rap of the group because he's part of the big four, but he's really like a marginalized member of the big four. Like he get, he's not like you give the ball to Aiden and like say do stuff. Not that he could or couldn't, but I don't know. Like that's not I mean, really the elbow. Like, he'll go do stuff. He's like, uh, if it's at one particular spot, he's like, yeah. I'll do that. I'll, I'll stay at the elbow. You got yeah. me. I'm right here. Exactly. But it feels like, and I've always had this hot take on Chris Paul bigs, like bigs with Chris Paul are marginalized to a certain extent. I think that they centers with Chris Paul rather. Um, Cause Blake Capella had fun in Houston with him. Yes. But the same role, like Capella yeah. was a role man. And he's a better player rebounder. than Deandre Aiden though. Deandre Aiden's yes, not a starter. I in the Aiden, NBA. I think Aiden can do more. I think Aiden just does. I think Aiden can, I like his elbow jumper. I feel like he, like if he was empowered more, I don't know if that leads you to winning basketball, but I definitely think he can do more than Capella. Like Capella was kind of limited offensively. I think he was Capella skilled. Knew what he, he rebounded Capella. I watched a lot of Clint Capella. He knows exactly yes. who he is. He, he knows exactly how to impact games in a positive way. I yes. just don't think DeAndre Aiden. Capella seems like he was maximized in that rim roll. I would say that too. Yeah. While, while Aiden does, you, like I see what Corbin's saying, has yeah. a little more skill and touch to his game. Probably yeah. could could see his game expanded and get more touches and different shot I think he's that guy, though. People are just doing that. But Tyson Chandler had You're the number one overall pick. Steven if Adams. you wanted to do more and if he, right. he could. 
He See, doesn't, the, though. Yeah, the, the aggressiveness at the rim is the, is the big issue. He he's, doesn't have it. Like, he kind of plays like Cat or, or like Vucevic where he's just Cat a little shoots threes at least. And yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't even stretch the floor to the three. Yeah. Yeah, he's just like trying to finish soft and avoid contact, which well, is the last mm-hmm. thing you want to see for somebody that's right. I think some of that is Monty though, because I remember there was a thing about Monty saying he wasn't wanting him to shoot threes or whatever, like that. Like he doesn't shoot threes mm-hmm. in general, but like some of it, I think is Monty who's coaching. Who I have a hot take on Monty, but I'm going to say that for later. No, but this like, is the time, Corbin. Unleash the Monty take. I just think that he's like he's a good coach, but he, I mean, this isn't the, like him and Aiden obviously have friction. Like mm-hmm. he and he was the only one. I'm trying to remember was another player for the Suns this year or last year that kind of rubbed him the wrong way, like. There's been issues there um, behind the scenes of Monty that I've just not been a fan of. And I'm not saying that Aiden, I feel like Aiden has the, the the perfect mix of his motor doesn't always run hot. Actually, very rarely does, in my opinion. But like him also not being given, per se, the opportunity. Like, can you name me one year, maybe his rookie year, that was okay. Aiden is the second guy to like get stuff. Like the 2020 year where you had Kelly Oubre and Mikael Bridges coming to his zone and Devin Booker, obviously the star, and Ricky Rubio helping run things. Then when Chris Paul came, that was a wrap. Like mm-hmm. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, eight. And then this next year, same thing. And now this year, half of that. And then, okay, now Kevin Durant mm-hmm. and Blake and, and, and Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And we still have Aiden. Like, and also he does seem like a moody type of player. So it's like, I don't, I want him to go to Indiana. I want him somewhere other than Phoenix because yeah, like even if he's on a team putting up 18 and 11 and they're losing 60 games. Like, at least I can see him do more. But I feel he's kind of stunted in his role. I feel because he's stunted in his role, he's not putting out the most energy to do things like, okay, let me gang rebound. Let me, you know, be a force down there. Let me buy into my role. That's not the role he wants. He's not given opportunity to do so. And we haven't seen it in a while. Um, and so I think that's what's feeding into what we have now. But, like, the Aiden that we saw in Arizona was totally different than Aiden we have now. And I think some of that is the coaching that he's been under because he's been put in his role. I, I doubt he wants to be, oh, let me just stand and take elbow middies and, you know, finish. Like, that's not what he wants to do. I doubt how do we that. know? What if that really is what he thinks he was in college dominating, came in and said yeah. he was him and Booker or Shaq and Kobe. That wasn't Shaq. At no point have we seen Shaq. No. And it's like he said those words. So that's why I say that. But mm. I just feel like he runs wild too. Like he obviously has done himself no favors. I'm not saying that he has, but I, that's my take on that. But um, because of that, I mean, we saw game one. He was not. There's plenty of clips on Twitter of him yeah. just watching, you know, Nicole Jokic get rebounds, just sitting there doing. The, I hate. I love the guy, but my guy Russell Westbrook's done this a few times when he's out the play. Sometimes, at least he did with the Lakers, where mm-hmm. he's watching and he can be right there and he's getting ready to move. But let me wait one more tip. Oh, and then they move and then it's over. Like he's mm-hmm. doing a lot of that, and I think some of it is just his psyche um yeah. he's not engaged and because of that he's like I'm, I'm here but whatever um and chris paul listen last year we saw chris paul do really i mean not really well but he did well in that first round series okay i mean now okay, see new orleans went to dallas had a really good first game or first two games some and then he turned 37 and then the wheels fall off right uh chris paul turns 38 next week hmm. just throwing it out there next weekend he turns hmm. 38 Ever, ever, I mean, in the last couple of years, it gets to that point, and just stuff happens. I'm not saying it's age decline already, but it's, it's a stark difference. Like, it was stark. And look at the Dallas series before he turned 38 and after, and you don't have to take my word for it. ESPN blew that out, like, the entire series, like how stark the drop-off was. I'm just saying it, there might be something there. So with that, I, I, I don't know. Uh, aside from that, you have the Suns bench, which has been notably horrid. Um, Torrey Craig 
had, what, 12 points a game in that first-round series. That's the most points he's ever scored in a playoff series, like, average in his career. Um, five points above his season average. Like, <laughs> love Torrey Craig. Great guy from all accounts. Good defender. Um, not at all somebody you look at as an offensive, like, okay, bench guy, like, get his points. Not at all. Um, and that's, like, your best bet. Campaign just is on a campaign of going to China. I don't know. Like, there's, <laughs> there's something there. Um, I, I don't know what Damian Lee, he's been in and out. Like, I don't like the Suns bench at all. So you have a big four, but you don't have that fifth starter, and your bench is not great against a Denver team that is just going on all cylinders um, and is deep and talented. And sorry, the center matchup, you know, the one you need to try to at least mitigate to leave, you know, with a victory in this series, you have Nikola Jokic, who two-time MVP, arguably could be a third, against DeAndre Ayton, who is checked out, not giving you a lot of effort, and there's your matchup. So I don't know. I think it'll be a Nuggets and six. I think the Suns have too much talent in their top two to not get a win or two. I just don't see it. But, like, long-term, I do think it's a battle of attrition. Um, and I just like Denver's three through eight players better than I like Phoenix's. It's never good when you have no idea how to allocate, like, that fifth spot and then what your bench is going to look like. You look at Okogi, Craig, <laughs> Campaign, Shamit. Like, he has no idea. Monty has no idea where to go uh, to fill that spot. And we talked about it when you surrendered that much depth in the trade for Kevin Durant, I mean, there were going to be problems. Like it wasn't just this cakewalk where the immediate takes from national folks was like, are they the favorites in the West? It's like, absolutely not. Like this is a problem. This is the Nuggets don't have this problem. The Warriors don't have this problem. This is, uh, this is going to be something that they have to address in the off season. And can they? Yes. Maybe that means moving Aiton for a two, like a one, a two for one to kind of balance out this roster a little bit more. But Josh Kogi cannot be your main guy. You can't be trying to figure out, is it a Kogi or Tori Craig tonight as our fifth guy here to close with these, these four stars. I don't know. RK, do you, did you see anything that gives you hope that the Suns could turn this around and actually beat the Nuggets in a seven game series here? Right. That, that's a gamble you take when you trade for Kevin Durant, that, that the talent is just going to be worth the trade off that, that mm. not having quite enough depth for, for a full playable rotation that you just make up for it because you essentially traded for the best player alive on the planet. The, like if the best trade deadline acquisition before this is someone like a Rashid Wallace or, or, you know, that end of the season pickup, like imagine that, but you just threw Kevin Durant on a contender in that sense. It's like, of course they have a chance. They have the individual matchups. Like you talked about the top four, almost all like, seem you would think on paper seem to favor the Suns just because of the names at least and even Kevin Durant himself is unguardable he he gets any shot he wants he makes any shot and he he's showing off his rim protection with three blocks but even that said they were still down 17 at halftime and he was playing out of his mind on both ends and that just kind of shows that like the individual talents there they they can match you shot for shot with the mid-range but the Nuggets have seemingly figured something out from an, an efficient shot per possession basis where kind of like the Rockets back in the day where they're just playing the numbers game, creating a good look every time down. And that is the result of their entire offense being in sync on one wavelength, all the players moving, cutting, rolling, setting picks in, in an endless pick and roll handoff system around Jokic and Jamal with Gordon and Porter on the wings and them basically creating a mismatch or an open look every single time down for a good shooter or a score like the the Suns are switching so you get Gordon on posting up 
Chris Paul or Booker or Michael Porter Jr. posting up one of these guys where they just have, you know, six inches in height over Chris Paul, I want to say, being able to shoot right over any guard on, on, on that sense. But, um, you know, so I would say in a consistency, sustainable offense sense, I definitely think the Nuggets are deserve to be favored, and that, that's a, a, a big reason why they took that lead so early. And obviously, if they're going to shoot lights out like that, they're going to have a chance to win any game. So you wouldn't expect them to shoot like that every game. But at the end of the day, they're going to create good shots for good shooters and pretty much a mismatch almost every time down. So how do the Suns stop that? I don't know. That's the big question. I don't like similar to Warriors Lakers, like we said, which team can actually stop the other one. And if they can't stop who's generating the more efficient looks consistently. And it seems like the nuggets just have the edge on, on both of these sides, even though like pretty much everyone is taking the Kevin Durant and the, and the, uh, the Suns players in a, in a close game with a game on the line, like on in paper or in theory, like you're going to, you're going to pick Kevin Durant to win the game. But, and even, even in theory, like how, how do you, if you're doubling Kevin Durant, Devin Booker's getting open looks the whole time. Like this offense should be unguardable too, but the slight difference to me is just the, the way they generate that offense and that, um, you know, there's a little more self-creation on the Suns and a little less of that pre-built years of, of chemistry and, and handoff, endless pick and roll, drive and kick chemistry where everyone just knows where to be, where to rotate, where to, where to move the ball. And that, that edge goes to the Nuggets and that edge is built on chemistry and depth over playing a lot of games together for, for a long time. And that, that to me seems like it'll be too much for the Suns. And obviously it was in the first game, but I don't think they're out of it by any means. They're just too talented. Like Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant. He seems, I think he's probably as good or better as anyone in the series. Still he's like him and Jokic are, you know, take your pick. So, and Devin Booker's right there as the second best. So they still have a good shot for a shootout. You know, if, if the Nuggets aren't hitting their shots quite like that, it's a close game. You can easily see a shootout back and forth. But I think that's kind of where they're at, where the, the Suns are hoping for that shootout to be in a neck back and forth close game because they're just not able to get many stops against a system like that. That's fair. Um, also, I just feel like it's kind of poetic if we can get Nuggets Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, and that's what like the Nuggets to finally get over the hump is them just beating the defending champs and getting over the Warriors hump to finally get to the finals. I think that would just be, be very be a perfect poetic. ending. I there. saw the Warriors haven't lost to a Western Conference team in the playoffs since the Blake Griffin Clippers. <sighs> they obviously didn't make the playoffs like a year ago, but other than that, like they they haven't lost before the finals since that Chris Paul Blake Griffin team. And Speaking that, of the Clippers, by the way, post-mortem here real quick um, on the Clippers based on what just happened. Corbin, you're going to enjoy this. Okay. Clippers playoff history the last decade uh, from Farbad. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Longtime uh, NBA writer and covers the Clippers. Um, one of my favorites, but he covers the Clippers for uh, Sports Illustrated. And he uh, he tweeted the just this 10-year run, basically. 2014, healthy. Then they had the OKC collapse. 2015, Rockets collapse. No CP3 for a bit. 2016, no Blake or CP3. 2017, no Blake. 2018, no playoffs. 2019, healthy, no All-Stars. 2020, healthy, bubble collapse. 2021, 
no Kawhi. 2022, no mm. Kawhi. Paul George gets COVID. 2023, no Kawhi, no Paul George. I mean, if that's not just a cursed Man. freaking <laughs> franchise, I mean, goodness gracious. Like the Clippers have been quote unquote contenders basically for 10 years, and it's just absolutely nothing to show for it. And I can't really even hate on what they've done for the like they've put together some really, really great, consistent 50 plus win teams that we've talked ourselves into more off seasons than not. And just absolutely horrific luck. And just the I way mean, things have fallen. I Oof. did just smile a little inside, but that is horrible for Clippers. <laughs> so sorry. Man, um, as bad luck as it gets. That, that alone should be like all they need to expand to Seattle. Just, just <laughs> overnight. Like the Sonics mm-hmm. are back. Like that's enough bad luck for yeah. one team. Sorry. Sorry, fans. It's that's rough. Um, that's a Magic fan, by the way. Just being like, yeah, move the, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> that's an Orlando Magic fan who doesn't oh, even man. like. Never, he, can I you still pronounce the word playoffs? Okay, any teams, please. <laughs> Do you know no playoffs in Orlando. No, no team movement allowed. Hey, to your uh, DJ Augustine, baby. I'm yeah, not saying. Our like we've been in the finals twice. Like, we're, we're not the Kings, you know. <laughs> Two more yeah. times than the Clippers. We're back. I guess that's the Kings true. Aren't us anymore. The Hornets are the Hornets are the new Magic. Yeah. Ooh. Hornets are something. Yeah. I don't know what the Hornets are. The Hornets are just sad. They're toiling over there. Yeah. You Michael see, might sell though this off season. Playoffs the past few years. We're on the come yeah. up. No. But they might sell. And who knows what the new ownership looks like. I don't know. There you go. Um, this is a fun one, Corbin. Scariest off season. The Bucks or the Grizz for you? Like, both had just extremely embarrassing losses in extremely different ways in the first round. Neither should have lost. Both had, and I think fairly so, NBA Finals expectations on both sides. Like the Grizzlies, you can make the case, were maybe throughout the course of the year, one, two with the Nuggets. I mean, the Pelicans, who can forget that Pelicans run where they were the number one seed in the West for a little bit. Zion, healthy Zion. Healthy Zion is just a different... I mean, that's just a whole different conversation and why like David Griffin doesn't sleep at night because it's just like, when I have Zion in this group, I, it's going to be really hard to beat him in a seven-game series. It's really hard to beat Zion Williamson four times. Um, but Ja, obviously, and I think he took uh, ownership for what happened here uh, down the stretch and the distractions and coming and going and what the suspension meant for this group. And then you have the Dylan Brooks shenanigans and everything else it seems like he's probably not back for memphis at the very least but mm-hmm. you had a fully healthy jaron jackson year which you cannot count on year over year um with again big dudes who are all stars who carry high usage rates like he is a great great nba all-star defensive player of the year that kind of dude but jaw as well like jaw like all the still images of jaw falling in crazy ways jaw hurting sand like you can't burn these type of years if you're Memphis. And then on the flip side, Milwaukee, you have Drew Holiday talking retirement in two years. You have Chris Middleton who can never stay healthy anymore. Chris Middleton <laughs> is at that point where it's like, can you really go into next year with Chris Middleton being one of your main core pieces on a title contender? Can you look just really be certain you can count on him to make it through 100 plus games when it matters um, for Giannis and company? Uh, I think both are facing extremely difficult off seasons where like, I think you have to shake things up a little bit more than you would like, just because that first round loss is just, it's just unacceptable. It just, it can't happen and you cannot, it, you just can't run it back as is. I think you have to make some sort of 
big swings. But if you're a fan of the Bucks or you're a fan of the Grizzlies, Corbin, who are you? Who who? Which offseason is scarier for you? Or like, man, really anything can happen here. This this could be this could be bad. I'm gonna say the Bucks. Hmm. Just think because age is an issue. I think they looked older. The injuries obviously weren't great, but Milton never looked right. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, Drew Holiday still effective, but I mean. Talking about time, and that is something. You know, I just think they need more punch uh, outside of their main guys. Obviously, a healthy Giannis, we're not having this conversation, right? Like, you know, I don't know. The Heat still might win with a healthy Giannis. Giannis wasn't good in that final game. Like, he, I, I don't think Giannis was healthy. Like, even when he, like, yeah. he got injured that first game and then just never looked right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying, no, actually, I am saying it. I think, I think they will probably would have won. Um, the Heat had a monster outlier shooting performance. Like, this is a team that was in the back half of the league in both shooting efficiency, three-point shooting, like, all of that. And all of a sudden, they just turned on the fire hose and they were like, let's go. You know what I mean? So, like, regression to the mean, I think, is a real thing. But I think the Bucks would have been better able to withstand that had they had a healthy Giannis Antetokounmpo, which they did not. Um, and that was an issue. But also, I mean, you got to look at everyone outside of that. You know, like, where else was the punch there? Like, at some point, I think, you know, it, it, um, Brooke Lopez was effective, but the dude is 35, you know, in his Jack Sigma years of just like standing tall in front of the basket and shooting threes from deep. Like, that's great. He does that well. But I'm just saying, Wesley Matthews, I mean, come on now. You can't keep giving this guy he's 36. Like, you can't be getting these like hard matchups as like your defensive wing. Jay Crowder, you traded 18 million first, second round picks for him, and he played barely and talked about it. Like, that just was weird. Obviously, Bobby Portis played strong, but Cat Pat Content have a great series to me. Grayson Allen was there. You know, like they, they just need to upgrade. I mean, you're given uh you don't have to give it minutes to, but Goran Dragic was just there. Uh, Giannis's brother was just there. Like you didn't really have as deep of a Lux team as you thought. You needed to help Giannis and a good Drew Holiday and a good Chris Middleton to be successful. Um, you didn't get two out of those three. That's bad. You know what I mean? So I think that you need to figure out. I think the problem is figure out, okay. What changes do we have to make? Because I don't know if you just sit pat and say, okay, Giannis healthy, let's run it back. I mean, maybe. I mean, they were the number one seed, but at the same time, like, that that that, that collapse was not just the Heat having just really good shooting numbers. Like, that was the Bucks also falling all the well, way off to begin with. And I just think you need some additional, um, I don't know, fortification on your squad. The Grizzlies, to me, get some maturity. Figure out what's going to happen with, with Dylan Brooks. Are you bringing him back? Are you There's letting no him way. Go? You can't I, bring I would hope not. Back. I would hope not. But he has the his key card has to already be turned in. Like it just they, they they it just has to go. Like the LeBron tweets and every like it's just oh, that it's gotta be over. Like it's got to be over. Like it's you can't you can't yeah. bring him back. Well, no, I think they have good situations to be able to you know upgrade a little bit and just um I don't know make just make moves to better yourselves. Whether it is bringing in more veterans, which I think I mean your oldest guy Stephen Adams like. Bless his heart, but they're not listening to Stephen Adams. You know what I mean? Like bringing in uh, maybe upgrade at the wing position. Dylan Brooks not only was not good off the court, but he wasn't necessarily good on the court either. Maturity for John Morant. That's been talked about nauseam. I don't, add, don't have to add anything more to that, but that too. You know, like I would imagine a step up for both Triple J and Desmond Bain. I, I think some of that's going to be internal development, a little bit of additional maturity, and also one or two tweaks around the edges, maybe an upgrade at one position um, of a bigger variety. But like, if you're Milwaukee, you have to like figure out exactly what the issue is and then try to like, you know, decipher how to fix it. Whereas I don't think that's the same for Memphis. Yeah, I think Memphis's roster is just good. Like they have a good balance of young and de- veteran depth. Like 
I like how it's built. They have shooters everywhere surrounding their stars. I think they got killed with some bad. Like, I love the Canard trade. Like, he was really, really good for them and added another uh, uh, variable to this team. I mean, Dylan Brooks is awful, but like, Brandon Clark's injury really hurt them. Um, but you look me down this roster. I mean, I just, I like so many of these dudes. And Steven Adams, I think, would have been huge in that series against Los Angeles. I think not having him uh, for his physicality was greatly missed to help Jaron Jackson in, uh, in a lot of ways in that series. And I think he would have been a big factor had he been able to go. But like, they have options. They can move some pieces around. They can get a little bit more creative. I just don't know what Chris Middleton's value is. And you look at this roster from Milwaukee, it's like Pat Connaughton. Do you float him out there? Like, who can you really... It's probably Drew Holiday because I think his value is probably significantly higher. But I'm also like, he was really a third team all NBA type guard this year. Like he was extremely important to what you were doing. And it's just, we've seen him be an, a great playoff uh, player. He struggled this year against the Heat, but he could do that against all kinds of teams. And I think it's, I mean, I just watched Trey Young go through that last year uh, against the Heat. He can do this uh, year over year. I, I think they're kind of an outlier in this regard. I just don't know what you do, RK. Like, I think they have to shake stuff up, but I'm also like, what is the value of moving Chris Middleton? What are you going to get? Are you really going to be able to find an upgrade for Chris Middleton at this point? Like, can you get a better player in return if you move Chris Middleton? Can you get a better player than Drew Holiday if you were to move him? So I just, I think the Bucks are kind of stuck and their only avenue is like a coaching change. And now that's extremely uncomfortable because of what came out about Bud and his, like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I think the, I think Corbin's right. I think it's the Bucks that are just in this really rough, uncomfortable situation that I don't know what they should do. Yeah, but both teams obviously just had disappointing finishes to what what were really strong regular seasons. They they were both top three seeds. They were both top three defenses, and um, the Bucks just missed top twelve offense. So they they were eleventh and thirteenth offense as well. So, you know, they had these great regular seasons, traits of contenders, and like you mentioned, depth on paper going in and just these these huge disappointments in round one. Uh, I think you touched on pretty much the, the big three options of what the Bucks uh, could look to do with Brook Lopez as a free agent. They could look to trade Drew, trade Middleton, or maybe um, move on from Bud, even, even though, like you mentioned, it, it is unfortunate and tragic what happened uh with uh, his his brother passing away that that during the week of the playoffs is what's being reported so it's obviously uncomfortable terrible situation for everyone involved and um really just seeing where the locker room's at i think is is what the bucks have to do next to 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 try to pinpoint um like corvin was mentioning what what really was the issue what was it um as Giannis referenced maybe he, he had issues with their defensive game plan their their scheming wise or which would go back to coaching. And I think coaching is just the simplest change for something like this, a contender that's already won. They've proven they can do it with this group and they, they have the so much defensive talent that you know that they're going to be a contender with Giannis and that defensive talent for a good foreseeable future. Uh, uh, unless someone just completely falls off the edge at, at, as they age out. Um, but, but like you said a second ago, I don't know if you can find, a better player or fit or value than Middleton trading Middleton for, for that fit. Cause he just fits as that like clay Thompson, but even a better play pull up threat off of Giannis in the half court where he can kind of create his own shot. Um, I, I think drew is probably 
the most value on the trade market being the the reigning uh, all the, all the accolades he won this year i think all-star and maybe all nba um he uh that might have not been announced yet all nba but um he, he might be in contention for that but i think his value being like the the player's pick for the best defender in the league as well um it, he's more likely to bring back maybe a I, w- I would say a more consistent half court playmaker, but he, he's just, he, he does a lot of the things you want. It just doesn't look very smooth offensively when he does it. Like I've always thought the bucks would benefit just from a traditional point guard who can just set everybody up, throw some lobs to Giannis and, and get some easier looks for Middleton on the wing. Um, but uh, uh, Drew's been a little bit more of maybe an ISO off ball type of score type and instead of that traditional just more of a combo guard it's just not right exactly it's just not what he does best even though he's so Mm. great at so many things and um so that i think is maybe a a worth exploring and and like you mentioned they they don't have great depth so uh just filling that out with with better all-around basketball players is probably a good move but i might go a little bit of a counter take on, on the premise of the question and say, mm. I'm a little more worried about the Grizzlies at huh. this point, only because of Giannis and, and d- their defense being so proven in the East. Like I, I just kind of consider them a pillar in the East for as long as Giannis and that defense and that core exists versus the Grizzlies. Um, similarly, I love, I like you just mentioned, I love the depth obviously that they've built there and, um, they've surrounded John Jaron with really good basketball players and Desmond Bain. So really it's like with a grain of salt, I'm not really worried about either team. I think they both had huge crash and burn disappointments to the season, but are so are, are still built for the future to, to have really good cores going forward. And, and the Grizzlies are young with, with good depth and really the only holes are, are what you guys already mentioned, like maybe finding a, a, a big man fit with Jaron whether it's Steven Adams or um, someone uh, younger and that maybe a, if Jaron's going to be more of like the help side rim protector floor stretcher, may, maybe like Adams, a, a tough rebounder in inside presence or, um, you know, whatever makes sense. Maybe he's Come more Looney gets the max to get a Memphis. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Looney's coming. Um, I always like Clark and, and Jaron there in, in mm. small ball lineups. So, so really finding a, like a, a three, that in theory is what Dylan Brooks was there to do, but just a, a defensive playmaker at the three who more of like a lockdown wing defender um, or even a point of attack guard defender, because they have so much offense with, with John Desmond Bain, maybe that third guard they, they need like a Davion Mitchell type coming off the bench to just lock somebody down for them while they, or they focus on buckets, but upgrading the def- defense on the wing, especially for them, I think is important for, for their depth. Um, but you know they they had a great defense because they have our, the best defender in the league in in my opinion and if not one of the best and he's a one man rim protector in Jaron Jackson Jr. so that they have him with an offensive explosion missile in John Morant so a one man defense and a one man offense almost and it's just filling in with good basketball players around that and Desmond Baines an all star in his own right that that level of of scorer type and, and off ball shooter so. Um, I, I'd say, you know, because because of just the embarrassment of the season, maybe, and and just just this drama revolving around um, everything with Jaw, and then with Dylan Brooks here at the end, 
it just seems like they're just constantly in the media story this year for the wrong reason. And it's all these off-court issues that re- really just serve as a distraction this year. And that, that seemed to really ser- toil away at something because they didn't seem like themselves, but also they were hurt. I mean, Brandon Clark and, and Adams being out is, you know, two major rotation players in their front court depth. Jaw was in and out with, with his things. So, um, I, I'd say the Grizzlies addressing that depth, probably moving on from Brooks just because change for the sake of change is is probably positive in this case. And um, you got Zaire Williams too. Like to he's not like really that. playing yet, and he's a first round guy. Right. Like at some point, you have to give him an opportunity. Um, and sure. you got another a ton of fun prospects. Jake Laravy is a yeah. fun four, just connector type on it that that should be able to play some backup four for them. So for sure, I mean, we we we'll see what they do, but. I definitely say their their wing depth is is what I would be most worried about, and that would be my pick, I guess, for what needs to be addressed. I think that's fair because like Giannis is stable. Like Giannis is just yeah. too good. Where like the East right. is too bad, and Giannis is too good for them to really careen outside of like the four or five seed. Like a healthy Giannis is just too good. Like he's just right. you look at his numbers. Like I was going through it. It's like he's still getting better at age twenty eight. Like every single year. Like he had a rough series here, but like you go back through it, he went up. Now he's at 31, 12, and six. Like he right. could he and get up to thirty three next year? Could he get up to like there? Is there another level for Giannis? Like I maybe I don't know. Yeah. And um, the MVP race the past like I want to say four or five years is yeah. just Giannis and B Jokic. He's like twenty eight, three he's over and over, durable. And, and yeah, Giannis keeps improving and that's just to me just those three just seem like locks in that sense to at least still be just as good the next year i mean there's no reason yeah. other than injury for someone I mean, I would say like, needs a lock uh he's now like we're looking at this second round series where he's oof. still dealing with some stuff so i wouldn't yeah. say impede year to year and i also just think yeah. the grizzlies you just have to put a asterisk they're a year to year team jaron jackson and job being healthy at the same time for a full year or come playoff time is just going to be you need some luck there and i think they're more they're more mercurious a little bit they're more uh, i don't know i just don't if it, they had a season from hell next year that wouldn't shock me at all like if they're a playing team and they're fighting for their playoff lives um come this time next year or a month uh late march like that wouldn't that wouldn't be surprising to me they're just a more mercurial bunch uh with jaw and company so i don't know we'll see uh last thing here as we wrap up uh corbin your ESPN trade machine experiment of the week here. RK has got one locked in from last week that I, I need to get this off. So like yours this week, you can have fun with this. What, what is it for you? I was, I mean, for me, it was getting, trying to get Malik Monk back. It's not realistic. I didn't use first off shout out to fans because they're, they're the folks I use for my trade stuff. But mm-hmm. um, the goal was to try to get Malik Monk back to LA. Um, and, I'm not gonna lie to you. I couldn't really find a way to do that um, in a way that worked both ways. Like I love a good crazy trade machine as much as the next person, but I also wanted to make sense. Mm. Um, and I didn't see who the Lakers had that they could offer for Malik Monk that Sacramento would accept um, that would work in terms of like interest. And like mm. obviously Austin Reeves isn't there. LeBron, AD, those are locks. D'Angelo Russell making too much. And that's also, he's in my mind going to be moving forward. So I try to build something around Malik Monk. 
Um, that was, I mean, I'm a leak monk. I tried to build summer. I'm a leak monk, and as a swap, uh, did a little bit of summer Malik Beasley. So mm-hmm. Malik. Um, in my mind, that made sense, but the trade didn't work because Malik makes a bunch. So, or no, Malik make. I'm sorry, I tried to build with Malik Beasley and with Mobamba as a sweetener. But that mm. didn't work because mm. Bamba plus Malik Beasley made too much. So then I just took out Bamba, tried Malik Beasley for Malik Muck. That was a success. Um, and I'm looking at, have to find out where I had the snapshot of the trade I made. Mm. Um, the Lakers gain a win and the Kings lose a win. Um, very simple. This is my first time, y'all. Be, be gentle mm-hmm. on me, all right? Like, I'll get better. This was just mm. a very, like, like, we couldn't afford him before. He obviously was huge for the Lakers last year. But that would never happen in real life. The Kings see the value in him. Malik Beasley's not even getting off the rotation in the playoffs. Like, it wouldn't happen. It was just a, a pie in the sky bringing back my guy because he really did a good job for the Kings up until game seven. And I missed him in LA. Malik Monk, you yeah. are missed. I almost bought an autographed jersey of you. Um, hey. much. So, yeah. I like Walking that. bucket. All day. All day. Here's back mine. Real quick. I'll do mine real quick. So I think RK is going to be good to, to end. Yeah, mine was just big. I like no, it. I like that. You just love Link Monk. You want him back in LA. You, <laughs> yes, just, I do. He was one of my favorite guys last year. I like that. Um, mine's going to involve the Hawks, my team too. Of course. It's the trade that just makes so much sense. You can do one for one here. I could also talk me into a two for two, both work. But Trey Young, Carl Anthony Towns has to be the trade this summer. Oh. I think. Quinn oh, wow. with Cat, DeJounte, I think it balances out the group better. I think DeJounte is more of a natural one. I don't think he and Trey are ever going to share the backcourt seamlessly. They both played well without the other one this postseason. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get out of the trade business. Um, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, man. I'm ready to move on. I think Cat would be a lot of fun. And I think if you did Cat and Yekka, as a twin tower, very different kind of twin tower where Anyaka's mm. going to shoot threes. Like Quinn was having him shoot threes in the playoffs a he's little good. bit later. I think he's going to have a potentially big year next year. And it wouldn't surprise me if he eventually just surpasses Clint Capella as the main guy. Like you can't move Clint Capella out because Trey hasn't looked at a Clint Capella pass in two years. So like there's there, they just know exactly where the other person is at all times. Like find you somebody who knows your game as well as Trey knows Clint Capella and where he's going to be at all times. Like it's beautiful to watch, but like those two are just simpatico. That being said, I just look at this group and how they need to reorganize this roster a, a little bit. John Collins is not the long-term four. Like I think Sadiq Bay, if they don't make anything crazy has to be the starting four going into this off season. The spacing is just so much better with him. The offense is so much better. You look at the numbers matched up. Like he's just, he shot like 40 plus percent from three. He was a huge plus minus win. I think he was like plus 10 per hand possessions since getting to the Hawks. Like he was a really good player. And I just, I'm a big Sadiq Bay guy. That all being said, you put Trey Young with Rudy Gobert and Ant. If you want to talk about somebody who's going to help Rudy Gobert in an unbelievable way, it's Trey Young. Trey Young, the amount of lobs and the way those two would play with one another, I think would actually be pretty seamless. I think those two would actually get the best out of one another. And then it gives Ant free room to just be a superstar on the perimeter. And it doesn't put all the the issues on Trey. And you don't have another guard who clogs things up for him because he's just never going to be comfortable being an off the ball guy. He's he's just going to stand there. So if that's the case, then 
you might as well not live in that world. You might as well just let Trey be Trey in his mid-20s at this point. I don't know. That's the trade I would do. That's the trade I would explore. And I, I think you could still maximize Cat in Atlanta. I think he could be a really good player um, in a new setting and a, a perennial all-star in Atlanta. What do you What do you all think? Is that crazy? Yeah. I think it's bold, a little spicy. Um, mm-hmm. No, it's crazy, but it definitely is a little... It, it got a little boldness there. It got a little spice there. Um, decent reasoning. Uh, so I can't like cat. Let's think about it. Cat and Yeka, DeAndre, Dejounte, and AJ Griffin. That's a long defense first, high shooting. I think that would be fun. That'd be a pain in the ass to deal with. And Bogey off the bench. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I like the Trey Young fit that you described for T Wolves as well. I yeah. think that's a natural like three headed offense offensive fit right there with with Trey and Gilbert natural fit and pick and roll and and ants uh, like that should create easier opportunities for ants off the ball to attack and even ants attacking driving and kicking. Now he's got catch and shoot opportunities for Trey. So that that actually I I like that side maximizing the fit for all and then the atlanta side is interesting from i I like the defensive standpoint i i guess i'm not quite at the point i probably just might value trey a little more than cat still at this point for like running an offense so i'm not there yet but from the other side i I like the fit a lot and then i mean defensively around cat that's super interesting okongwa would be a natural fit in the front court with yeah, because you know he's just a modern, modern big, able to switch and and do a lot of things defensively. I really like his upside as as something of a, a versatile, like at a bio type of anchor down there, where he can do a little bit of everything for them. So that'd be exciting for sure. There you go, and you also it still works if you do Collins for Conley in that you throw in that Ooh. and Conley as there. That would be fun. Bring him uh, back. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. Uh, RK, nice, end man. it with uh, your hypothetical Ooh, trade here your trade experiment this week a big bang well just got the word dame is officially running from the grind oh no as, of, now, as of this fake trade he's demanded a trade uh-huh. he wants out the nets are calling they say dame we're gonna pair you with not one maybe two defensive player of the year candidates with Michael Bridges and Nick Claxton. We got Dorian Finney-Smith on the wing, too. No one's scoring against us, and you're taking every shot. And the trade, the salary... I was going to say, who's up. going back to Portland in this yeah, scenario? You- well, at the moment, it's it's just Ben Simmons and as many picks, first-round picks, that Portland can carry. Ben Simmons? They're getting all the firsts. You can have six first-rounders. I don't care. We got Dame. We got Claxton. Ooh, we got Michael is- Bridges. This is we spicy. We got first to trade. If I'm you, sweating. That's how spicy The only it is. prospect on that they might be interested is is Cam, the bucket getter. But they they probably and Cam Johnson is a free agent as well. So I don't know if he can be anywhere. I, maybe he can be brought. Is back he restricted? A, a super team. I, I'm not exactly sure. I think but he's got to be restricted this early, right? Probably. You would think. If, I think so. I don't know. Um, wow, I didn't have Dame is. to Brooklyn here. Yeah, full rebuild oh. for the you know Blazers would be obviously doing it for the picks, not for not for Ben. Like they, this would be like well, the, Ben's retiring either way, so you're retiring picks. at yeah. the end of this. Get, I don't think Ben Simmons plays basketball again. I think he, he might not. not. I mean, and I also think he probably should at this point. Like there was that horrible discourse with uh, 
about Kawhi's force retirement because it's like a, what happened. The, but I'm like, that's an injury thing. I look at it from Ben like this is just it's both injury and off the court and mental stuff. Like there's just so many things where I'm like, I don't see this ever getting better. I see this just being bad for and yeah, like it's not fun. It's just bad. It. I don't know. I just don't see how he ever plays basketball because I just don't see him transitioning to just normal role player or normal eighth guy off the bench, which is what he probably has to be at this point. I just, I don't see how that works for him. Yeah. He's become a, a huge star off the court. It would definitely be an adjustment to, to accept a smaller role or a diminished Right. Role like I just don't player. see it after all this to just lot, transition. So, yeah. You know, it really just comes to like, you know what he wants. Does he want to keep playing basketball and get, rebuild from the scratch? Kind of like Fultz did. He, he came, went to a team where no one was watching and, just got healthy finally and got back on the court and without many critics or any anyone yelling at him to every free throw he just slowly built it back up like it's it's crazy how things change so fast like a few years ago you never would have thought Marco Fultz is a re- the reliable starting point guard in 2023 you know a few years ago you would have easily picked uh, Ben Simmons who's coming off a, an all defensive team running point and Fultz is looking like Fultz is going to be in the league for like 17 years. This man has already carved out a niche that like he's going to find his way onto roster for the next 17 years. Yeah, he's a bad. He's a good There it is, baby. The middies. That man is just, and he's slow. Yeah. And the same thing, you know, a a young guy coming in with a lot of basketball pedigree, devastating Mm -hmm. injuries or mysterious injuries for Fultz having to remake themselves and, just become that steady vet that's on winning teams that you want to have, you know, with the, yeah. like a defined and refined skill set. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. We didn't think we would end on Markel Fultz here tonight. Uh, what a but day, you never yeah. know here on the hey, program. You invite me on the RK on, we, you're going to get some magic talk. We got to break in there somehow. It's a there given. you go. Uh, Corbin, what can the good folks check out from you over at Swiss Theory, Roundball Ramble, everywhere else? You've got some some content that the good folks should go check out. Uh, what I, should they check out this week? Yeah, I appreciate it. I am um, – what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> All confused. I'm in the midst of a move or getting ready for a move, so my content might slow down a little bit. Moving to Colorado. so that's Oh, gonna- you're not – I didn't know you were moving states. Yeah, moving states. The new the job had moving states. So from Arizona to Colorado. So that's going to be a lot. Um, Are you going to Denver? You. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, I get to see there. some NBA finals in person. Maybe Ooh. so. Maybe so. I'm get that credential, folks. NBA, like, reach out to me. Give Corden that credential. He deserves it. Get, that would be cool. That. There you that go. Really That'd be, be fun. Dope. It really oh, would. Yeah. So that's what, yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. That's why I'm, I'm kind of up my ears and just moving and thinking about that sort of thing. But in the meantime, between time, uh, if you're so inclined to follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA, um, put something out for Switch Theory about two weeks ago uh, about um, Bob Witze and the Portland Trailblazers. That was really interesting. Really enjoyed that. Going to be doing some more pieces of that ilk. Uh, probably going to get more settled down. Um, as far as Round Ball Ramble, oh, wow. Forgot to post it. Lovely. Love myself. Um, yeah, I have a great podcast I'll be posting after I'm done with this show um, with Ron Guterman of Laker Nation. We basically talked uh, the Lakers win over the Grizzlies and then previewed the second round. I also, for my other podcast, Roster Reconstruction, uh, myself, uh, Garrett Bouguet and Josh Earl, my good friends, we are ranking the NBA front offices. And so we just did our second um, chunk. We split into tiers. We're in our middle tier with our top 10 coming next week. So that's all my stuff. Appreciate as always coming on, Chase. You know it's amazing here. RK, the pleasure is 
always mind here, but I, I appreciate you. And yeah, good stuff. There you go. What about you, Brown the RK? Anything on the sub stack this week? Hey, well, you already know. Um, so <laughs> I finally finished or just about finished my the Orlando Magic kind of season review on Paolo's historic rookie season and just going going down one of the most exciting years for the Magic in a long time. So uh, that's a long one that'll be should be coming out this week. And then I mentioned last week I, I want to I still want to write about Aaron Gordon. I got a few words on the page like in that writing process where it's like all right the words are up there now I just gotta actually write all of the words instead of just some of the words. So we're working on that. I'm gonna write about Aaron Gordon's just perfect fit here with with Denver and and their magical run and and just kind of his his balance off of as a play finisher off of Jokic and all all the ways that's really maximized his role. So I. I I want to write about that, but I just finished writing about the magic. So expect both of those things uh, at Beyond the RK. You can follow me on Substack or YouTube and with Swish Theory as well, and obviously on Twitter as well. So love being on here. Always happy to talk hoops, guys. Great talking with you. There you go. RK, Corbin, thank you as always. You guys have yourself a great week. Safe move. Safe travels, safe writing, safe podcasting, all that good stuff, and enjoy some basketball as well. And I will talk to you all both very soon. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, Mm -hmm. you're um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.